mentioned this is about halfway through our series, Finding Faith in Rock and Roll. And uh, we're going to hear a song from an album, CD, um, called Joshua Tree. Um, U2 won the Grammy, 1987. Uh, All the critics of these kinds of things say it's probably one of the greatest CDs ever. Put it up there for those of you who who know these kind of things. Right up there with the White Album the Beatles did many years ago and so forth. Um, I want to read to you, though. Um, the words of Bono, the lead singer of uh, U2, is about the song that we're going to be talking about and that you're going to hear uh, sung in just a moment. He said, it's an inter- interesting story that someone once told me. He said, in Belfast, uh, by what street someone lives on, you can tell not only their religion, but how much money they're making. Literally, by which side of the road they live on, because the further up the hill, the more expensive the houses become. You can almost tell what the people are earning by the name of the street they live on and on what side of the street they live on. That said something to me, he says. So I started writing about a place where the streets have no name. And that was the the background of this particular song. And I didn't know until just recently uh, that that Bono in particular and two other members of U2 are followers of Christ. And, you know, if you know anything about these guys and some of the trouble, particularly Bono, has been in recently. Um, Bono. Is that right? Bono. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan. And, um, hey, that's no different than John Kerry saying his favorite Red Sox is David Orts. So, you know, um, it's Ortiz, for those of you who are Red Sox fans. But anyway, um, anyway, no, I, I, it's, I've heard different times. I always go to Steve for these. He's the authority on these things. Uh, but anyway, I didn't know until recently that he and two other members of the band are, are followers of Christ and uh, very outspoken. They're not perfect, and you've heard different things and so forth and so on about them, but they're not perfect, but they're followers of Christ. Um, and a lot of their songs... A lot of U2 songs are, are really deep in spiritual meaning. In fact, in a very popular tour recently called the Elevation Tour, uh, Bono even introduced this, where the streets have no name with, with, with some psalms, reading from the psalms. I'm going to read that to you. And just, just listen. This is how he introduced the song. Psalm 116. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? I'll lift high the cup of salvation, a toast to God. I'll complete what I promised God I'll do, and I'll do it together with His people. Yeah, that is good stuff, guys and ladies. That is great stuff. Oh. So what is Bono asking for? Streets with no name where you can't tell how much money people make, where you can't tell what class they belong in, where you can't have or tell distinctions in that song, where the streets have no name. Um, I think what he's asking for musically, if we want to put it that way, is a place where there are no injustices, a place where there are no wrongs, a place where people have value simply because they are God's children and not for any other reason. That's what he's asking for. A kingdom, a kingdom governed by God that is righteous. That's what he's asking for. And really, it's a pretty good thing to ask for, isn't it? And as a matter of fact, that is exactly, that is exactly what Jesus asked for 
in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I want to show you this, and it's in Matthew. If you've, many of you, whatever your background, probably have heard of the Lord's Prayer, seen it in a movie or something if you haven't been to a church. But and it go, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but let me just show it to you. It's from Matthew chapter 6, or chapter 6, verse 9. And um, I hope I have that for you. Do I have that for you? Um, and it goes like this. Our Father in heaven. Keep going, guys. It's up there. I want, I want everybody to see it. Here we go. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I know a lot of you are going to want to kind of recite it with me, aren't you? I can see you. I can see what you're doing. Actually, uh, well, you know what? Let's just read through it out loud. If you want to do that, feel free. If you don't want to, don't. I don't care. Uh, I'm going to read it, and you can either follow along or just listen, listen quietly. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to come back to that. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sounds like it ought to be sung, doesn't it? Um, I'm interested in verse 10. And I have that kind of highlighted there for you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, what does that mean? I used to recite that in the church that I grew up in part of the time. What does that mean, your kingdom come, your will be done? Well, what Jesus is asking for really isn't much different than what Bono is asking for. God, we want your kingdom on earth. Justice, righteousness, where people love each other and honor each other because of who they are, not because of class distinctions and not because of what they can do for me or, or, any, or anything else, right? So what I want to do with our time that we have here, by the way, let me show you the paraphrase of this. The paraphrase that I like to use is the message paraphrase, just of those verses that I just mentioned. Let me just show it to you. Um, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Here it is. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. That's the prayer. And Jesus is saying in the prayer that some of us are familiar with, God, just, just make these things real on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when you think about that, how does that happen? You know, is that going to happen in this lifetime? Not all the time. Here's the quest. It's to, it's to be a part of bringing about God's kingdom here on earth. That's the quest. Um, how does one do that? How do I do that? How do I bring about God's kingdom here on earth? Um, how does one experience the kingdom of heaven? How does one experience the kingdom of heaven on earth? Well, first thing we have to do is figure out what that means. What does it mean to have the kingdom of heaven here on earth? I'm going to do a little self-confession here from some of my misguided uh, thoughts as a young person who heard this prayer recited ad infinitum, you know. Um, and, and we went, we, one of the churches that we went to as a kid, they would say this every Sunday. Another one that we went to later on, they didn't. But um, here's what I used to think of, because I remember hearing one time the pastor, the guy who does what I do, who just bored me to death. And that's one of the reasons. You know, you may not, you know, I really try hard <laughs> not to bore you to death. It's kind of a childhood thing that I'm still living out, you know, because I remember how that was. But I remember how he used to do that. I thought, what does that mean? As a little kid, because he would talk about bringing God's kingdom to earth. He said, bringing God's kingdom to earth. Something like that. 
Uh, darn close, actually. That's, that's going. That's reaching way back. But um, and I here's what I used to think of. This is terrible. I know. I used to think of well, what does that mean? An eternal church service. <laughs> that's what I thought of. And I would go like I would think to myself, and I would never say this to my mom and dad, certainly. But I would say to myself, an eternal church service. I don't want to go there. You know. That's hard enough for the two and a half hours I have to sit through this one. You know, I can't imagine, you know. And the other thing is sometimes just eternal church with you just sing and sing and sing. And uh, actually, I could do that here with some of the stuff we got going on. But but um, in those days, I couldn't trust me on that. I mean, you know, there's only so many ways you can do a hymn in 4-4 four, four time or whatever that is. Is it 4-4 four, four time? I don't know. Yeah, it is. Anyway, whatever it is. Um, is that God's kingdom? Is that bringing God's kingdom here to earth? No, not really. What is it? Well, what I've done is I want to show you a couple of things. And what I've done is I, I want you to think along with me like this. Here's the question I'm asking, and it's really my theme. And that is, what is so appealing about God's kingdom? Okay? What is so appealing about God's kingdom that we want it here on earth? And then, of course, what, I'm, what we're going to do in this, and I hope, first of all, that this will be of some comfort to those of you who are followers of Christ, or those of you who, have, who are thinking about that, there'll be some comfort as you think about this. But, but even more so, I also want to kind of challenge you, not just to have comfort, but to challenge you to think about that, what can I do as just little old me to bring about God's kingdom here on earth? Um, whatever that may be, wherever I may live, whatever, whatever I may do, wherever I may work, whatever that may look like. So here's what we're doing. I'm, I'm calling this the kingdom of God, illustrated, expanded, and lived out basically. Um, and I'm going to show you just three movements of thought here. Again, not a formula, but three movements of thought just to kind of follow along with me, and you can kind of kind of see where you add up on this. What's so appealing about God's kingdom? Number one thing I think that's appealing about God, God's kingdom is this. Life will finally be more than fair. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, how many times have you said to your mate or to your kids, hey, life's not fair? And you were accurate. Life's not fair. A lot of things happen, and we can look around in the, in the world today and look at some of the things that are going on and look at some of the people who succeed and some of the people who don't succeed. And, um, and you, you know, think, well, life's just not fair. Well, you know what? That's true. However, I have a verse for you. I have several verses for you. I'm just going to show you one. Look what Isaiah says in chapter 45, verse 21. I have it here for you. I'm the only God there is, the only God who does things right or fair, right, and knows how to help. I'm God. I'm fair. And what I want you to think about on this thing is this. One of the ways that we can bring, first of all, thinking about it in terms of comfort, one of the things that we can really take kind of comfort in knowing, yeah, life isn't fair, but there will come a time in the future you want to think about that, you want to call it pie in the sky or whatever you want to call it, when life will be fair. However, what does that do for me today? Well, here's what it does for me today. It helps me to think about the fact, you know what, life isn't fair, and there are a lot of people who aren't fair, but I can be. I can be. We can start with me. I can start treating people not by the street where they live, not by what side of the street they live on, Going back to the song, I can start treating people just as children of God, honest, 
honorable creatures that God has created. Even sometimes when they're not all that honorable. You know, there's all kinds of ways you can do this. And one of my... There's... (laughs) There's a song, uh, and I, haven't, I, don't, I quoted Avenue Q a couple weeks ago, but I'll do it again. And I haven't seen the play yet, so I don't have to recommend it or not recommend it. And I'm glad because sometimes you get in trouble doing that. And I have a feeling recommending that play, I get in big trouble. But anyway, uh, just of hearing some of the songs. But um, in Avenue Q, there's a song, We're All a Little Bit Racist. It's a very entertaining type of thing. I've listened to a lot of the music, even though I haven't seen the play. And, uh, and I thought of myself, because he goes through different things on who, what we're racist about. And, uh, and I, you know, because I think of myself, I'm not a racist. I haven't got a bigoted bone in my body. But then in that particular song, <laughs> in a very crude way, they brought up a thing about how sometimes we're racist, and I'm just going to put it in my words, not in their words, because I can't remember them. But the, how, how we can be racist about maybe someone who doesn't speak English, who's in a service position and you're trying to get something done. Do you catch my drift here? Am I the only one that has this problem? Okay, and I'm like, God, you're in America, speak English, dang it, you know? I just want a Coke. How a Coke? Poke, you know? You know? Then you gotta say, be careful how you say that. But anyway, uh, um, um, you're slow this morning, but that's okay. You're, you're coming along. But, uh, and then you, then you start realizing what's going on inside of you. You know, I'm not really being very fair. You know, and you say, well, yeah, but they should this and they should. That's not the issue here. What can I do to bring about this, this kingdom where the streets have no name? God's kingdom. What can I do with my little circle, my little world, my little influence? What can I do to bring that about on a, well, you know what? God is fair. I can be fair. And I can show grace. And live it before people. So I, I was in this taxi cab. Okay? And it's one of those, those of you who in the city very much and you've, in that, you know, I think there's some kind of a litmus test. And to be a taxi cab driver, you have to be from the Middle East and you can't speak English. Um, except for the names of streets. I mean, that maybe, I just, maybe that's, maybe there's one guy like that and I always get him. I don't know. But, but anyway, that seems to be the situation with me. And I'm trying to really exercise this. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be good, man. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to have a good attitude here, Rich. You know, I'm getting myself really pumped up, and I'm nice, and, hey, how you doing? You doing good? Great. Oh, yeah, good. Okay, and I'm over here and trying to be friendly, you know, and not as, as one of those warmer days, you know, and I don't know what the deal is, but some of these guys don't like to turn their AC much, and, and uh, I'm just, I'm being, I'm being good, okay? I'm being a good, righteous pastor, um, or whatever, and... Um, so, and then, I, and then I did something. I got out before he wanted me to get out. And he just started just cussing me up one side and down the other. In perfect English, I might add. But, uh, but uh, and I'm thinking, oh, there you go. Okay. I tried. What can I do? Uh, it's not always going to be returned the right way. And that, but that's not the issue, is it? And it's not so bad with a taxi cab driver. But sometimes it's with your mate. Or your people you work with on a daily basis. And you still need to be fair. And it doesn't matter how you've been treated or how you will be treated or whether it's going to come back to you or not in some karma-like way. It's right. And that's one of the things we can do. So one of the things that's appealing about God's kingdom is life will finally be more than fair. And one of the things I can do is I can consistently strive to be fair with whomever and wherever it happens to be. 
A second thought that I want you to think about. What's so appealing about God's kingdom? Not only will life, people will care, not only will life be fair, but people will care about each other in word and deed. In word and deed. Um, and, and here's what I'm getting at with this. So many times we have people, in some cases people that are close to us, in some cases not, we say, oh, I love you, and I love you, and, and I remember an issue one time when somebody was talking about that, and there had been some issues between this husband and this wife, and I remember the husband saying, telling me about the husband saying, you know, honey, I love you, and they'd been through quite a few challenges, and she said, well, you know, you got a funny way of showing it. And don't we all, at times, in different ways, to those whom we love, have a weird way of showing it? And that's the challenge. Let me show you again some... This is a very simple passage of Scripture. If you've been to very many weddings, you've probably heard some version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read it to you and get you to read along with me from, uh, from the message translation. Love cares more, than, more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Isn't that good? Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle. Let's just go back to that a minute. Let's read that again. Go back. Doesn't fly off the handle. Hmm. Does that mean that I love my wife or my husband? I can't just fly off the handle? Well, it says that's not showing love. Now, just think about that. All right, go, keep going here. Um, doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Hmm, that's a good one. Doesn't reveal when others grovel. Excuse me, doesn't revel when others grovel. Better read it here. I can see it better. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Okay? Keep reading this because it just keeps going good here. Uh, it, it It takes pleasure in the following of truth, in the flowering of truth. Hang on a second here, folks. We have an issue here. I hear, am I hearing something weird? Okay, that would be $100. Somebody take her name and uh, make sure you get that on the way out. 100 We have a rule here for you new people. Um, just, just a new rule. We don't have a, it's not a new rule. It's an old rule. Finest golf courses in the country fine you if you have a cell phone go off. And we want to be like that. So, so there you go. Who was that? Was that Kim? Okay, Kim Knockber. Write the name down. Write it back there and make sure she puts $100 in the basket before she leaves. There you go. All right. And the second time it goes up. Now, here we go. Let's go back to my passage of Scripture here. All right. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. I got my glasses on. I can read. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Those are saying things the right way. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks, looks for the best. Looks for the best. That's love. Doesn't assume the worst. Looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. That's love in word and in deed. And keep in mind, in the original language in Greek, love is not an adjective. Love is a verb. It's an action word. What's the point? It's real simple. I want to live in a, in a place where the streets have no name, metaphorically speaking. In a place that I can, in my own way, help bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus prayed? Well, one of the things I can do is, 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 is really care about people. It's easy to talk about love in some ambiguous way and say, oh, I love them and I do this. You know, I, I take one of the things I've learned in church. Um, 
we have my friend here, Lori, who's a stand-up comic, and, and I've been telling her I want to be, I want to try to be a stand-up comic someday in, in 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 New York, but I don't use the right language. She 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 uses good language, but the guys don't. And anyway, um, um, and and I told her that I want to do my own little bit because here's my here's what my bit will be, uh, and I'm not going to do all of it. I'm going to save you the pain of sitting through this. But but one of the things I want to do is this whole thing of um, in the church. This is my experience of 25 years in the church. If you say, I love you, you can say anything you want to say. I love you, but you know what? I just don't like the way you do this. I've heard everyone, you know, Rich, I love you as the pastor, but, but you know what? Yeah, that music guy, he is just the biggest loser in the world. You know? I've never had that comment here, by the way, just for the record, to want to make it very clear. But, I mean, they can say anything about anybody or anything they want to say. If they say, I, you get some really funny stuff. You can, people can say, I love you, but... Gosh, you know, I just don't like this, and I don't like that. They go on with all kinds of negative stuff. Well, here's what I'm trying to get at on this whole thing. You know, that, obviously, we have to be honest, and we can't cover up, and we can't, you know, hide and all the other kind of things. But love will have a certain action. It will have a certain verb. It will act a certain way. And all the words in the world aren't going to make up for that, aren't going to counterbalance that. And what happens sometimes in the name of the love of Christ is stuff that I believe God would just be so, not just be, is so appalled by, by how people treat each other and how people act toward one another. And sometimes that's in this place we call church. Hopefully that's not in this church, but where nobody's perfect here either. The key to that is when it does happen is you deal with it appropriately at the time and be honest about it and try to get things out in the open. So... What's so appealing about God, God's kingdom? Yeah, life will finally be fair, number one. But what can I do? I can be fair right now. Number two, people will care about each other, both in word and in deed. So what can I do? I can think of ways of which I can show authentic love to people that I'm with every day. That may be simple little stuff. That may be doing some grunt runs, what I call grunt runs, going out and going out and just getting coffee for people, just being a grunt, you know, or carrying something here for somebody. Some little, you say, well, that doesn't show. It does. I mean, and, and the thing that's so interesting about all of that is that's good leadership, too. I've been reading, I've been reading uh, well, I, I read a lot of history always, and, and uh one of the things that most is, is, uh, 18, is 1860, uh, 18, uh, April 1865. It's the name of the book. Small book. It's a subtitle of the book is The Month That Saved America. And, uh, well, when you read that book, it's pretty good stuff, too, because it talks about when you, in April 1865, you have Lee surrendering the troops uh, at, at Appomattox, Virginia, of the Civil War. Then you have uh, Lincoln being uh, assassinated. Then you have Andrew Johnson, who was just... Uh, a loser in the eyes of all of Congress at that time, taking over as president. You have all kinds, just a fascinating month that just, just was just hellacious, literally and figuratively. One of the things they do in that book is they, 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 and I never thought about this, they went through a whole thing on Robert E. Lee and how in every other revolution, in every other part of the world, when the party that was defeated, the group that was defeated, they never surrendered. They just continued to run a guerrilla war after that. 
And you can think about it through history, and it happens. And, and they, and they kind of take you into the mind of Robert E. Lee through research and journals and so forth. And, and in doing so, they, they show Robert E. Lee is being told by several of his key guys, we'll just, we're beaten. We know that. But let's just pull back and run a guerrilla warfare. And Robert E. Lee said a couple of different things. He said, I love my country too much for that, and I love people too much for that. And his third thing was, and I love God too much for that. And he really changed what could have been this great nation that we live in had he, had he taken that tactic of running a guerrilla. You can imagine what would happen. We had a guerrilla warfare going on for 50 to 100 years after 1865. So the, the, and the point was, you know, he put that, you say, was that love? He clearly stated it as love for his country, for people, and for God. Made a difference in how he lived. Goes into some other things, his leadership in terms of how when guys were starving in the troops, he was the last one to eat. Little actions, although that wouldn't be too little, little actions that we can all do to show our care and concern for others. That's what we're talking about. As I said, that may be just be running for coffee for somebody. That may be something else. It may be holding people up. It may be just taking the time to talk to them and encourage them. Some person who, who you can't receive anything back from. See, that's what God's talking about when he talks about a kingdom, bringing the kingdom on heaven to the kingdom on earth. I can't do much, but I can do some. I can influence the circle that I travel in. You can influence the circle that you travel in. What's so appealing about God's kingdom? Finally, life will be fair. Number two, people will care about each other in word and in deed. And the last thing is this, and this is probably my favorite one, if I had a favorite. You will be judged by your heart. Gosh, I love this verse. Let me show you the verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is a verse that um, God's talking to Samuel. He says, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel here was having a hard time choosing, finding out who would be the next king of Israel. He goes through all the brothers of David because they're all big and strong and good looking. And then, and then David's out and he's a shepherd. He's the youngest and he's not a big man. He wasn't a big man at all. And, uh, and, and Samuel was like, this can't be your anointed God. And God said this to him. He said, hey, God doesn't see like man sees. God looks at the heart. You know what I like about this? Let me just, speak, I think I can speak for all of us, I'll speak for me, but I think I can speak for you too. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever had people accuse you of wrong motives? Gosh, that's so hard. Especially when maybe you had pure motives. I hate that. I've had that happen more than once. And it's never been easy. And here is our great comfort. And it comes right out of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. God knows my heart. Sometimes, no one else in the whole freaking world knows it except God. But that's enough. That's great, isn't it? I can take great comfort in that. I can take... I, and it's, it's a wonderful, comforting thought to think about that. That in God's kingdom, not just literally, but, but metaphorically, God's kingdom on earth, God's kingdom that reigns in, in my heart, 
Okay, there. The God's kingdom that reigns in my heart. He looks at my heart. And even when I'm misunderstand, when I'm misunderstood, even when I say things sometimes that I didn't mean at all, and somebody gets a whole different view of that, God knows. Isn't that great? I just love that. And there's a lesson in that for me and you too, isn't there? Don't make don't make external judgments. You know, I don't care how many times we say it. You know, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, and you know, you can't, you know, the first impression. You, you can't. We do it, don't we? I'm fifty something years old, and I still do it at times. And I know I can't. I've been, I've, I've learned over and over. Some of you know the story. I've told the story two or three times of of the snowboarder when I was in Vail who wanted to go snowboard. I'm, I'm a snowboarder, and he and he wanted to do a snowboard with me, and you know, and he had all this stuff all over his face and and. Uh, piercings, okay, just for the record. Um, and, um, and I'm thinking, oh, I want to go snowboarding with this, you know, freak. And, uh, um, you know, it looks like he fell in a tackle box, the whole thing. And, and, and some of you know that story and how I go out with this guy and I thought, this guy's an incredible human being with a phenomenal heart and a phenomenal love for people. And, and yet, I still, every, fi- every now and then, find myself not in that way. Now I know better about that. But in some other ways, the way someone looks, their, their, their personal appearance, the way they come across, the, being arrogant, being boorish, being New Jersey-ish, who knows? And uh, only you can understand that. If you're, you know what I mean by that, right? And you just make those judgments sometimes, and yet I know better. And God tells us that. And you know, one of the things that I take from this truth is, God looks at the heart. I need to strive. I need to try to look beyond the surface. As difficult as it is, I need to try not to be about an inch deep. It's very easy for me to be that shallow. And it's actually probably pretty easy for most of us to be that shallow at times. At times. God's kingdom on earth. Streets where there are no designations and there are no classes, and there aren't good people and bad people, and rich people and poor people, and people that are good and people that are bad. How do I bring it about on earth? Well, it's never going to be like that here. But I can act in a way, with character, where I will be judged by my heart and make the same, have the same ambition. Where I am loved by God, by not just word, but in what he's done for me. And I can seek to do that too. And I can, I can, while life isn't fair, it can be in God's kingdom, and I can seek to be fair. And you know, and I, I believe it all comes about in a relationship with God. And I want to close with just, this is sort of my takeout food for thought. And I want you to look at this. Just, just follow along with me on this verse. It's from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And here it is. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Just to walk humbly with your God. That's the key, folks. Relationship with God. I can't do, I can't love, I can't be fair, I can't... I can't judge, I mean, I can't uh, keep from being external outside of God working within me and doing something in my heart, in my life, not once, but on a continual basis for me.
And that's true for all of us. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came and died in our place and went to the cross and suffered and went to the tomb and died and rose again to give us not just eternal life, but abundant life in Christ and the ability to have a new nature, a God-like nature in being able to live as we have this, as the Bible says here, this walk, this humble walk with our God. That's how it happens. can't happen any other way because we're all very human and very fallen. And it takes God working in us and through us. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, these are very important truths. And outside of the Spirit of God working in our hearts, I don't know if we can fully understand them. But I do pray that we will. And I pray that we would, each one of us in our own way, just be especially sensitive or open to to that still, small voice in each of us. Whatever that may mean for each one of us, and maybe we take this from here and, and just talk to you about it, God, or talk with others about it. We thank you for the grace and the, and the love that we have in Jesus, and we thank you for what you have and are doing in, in our lives and those of us who've trusted you as we commit our day and, and our time here this morning to you, Lord. Thank you for each person here. We pray that we would go in peace and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.